Hasn't that been a rich morning already? Man, what? God is so good. Just a wonderful opportunity. If you're a guest with us here, uh, I'm Pastor Ken Kramer, and it's a joy uh, to uh, serve this house and, uh, and walk together. And so we're going to get into the Word in just a minute. <clears throat> um, you know, how many of you have ever found yourself in a, a moment where um, you heard something, but you heard it wrong? And then you found out later that, oh, that's not, that's not, you know. Here, here's my favorite. Can you spare me a preacher joke just for a minute? I don't do these very often, but I, th- this, one goes, this one goes back away. You, you thought every joke that I shared was a preacher joke. No, but there are some, there's like a certain class of preacher jokes. They're kind of like dad jokes. And, and only certain people get them, but, but bear with me. Okay, so this is one of my favorite ones. It goes, it goes kind of like this. Um, older gentleman, older wife on the couch together. And he has one of these moments of nostalgia. His heart is strangely warmed, and he says, Honey, after all these years, 50 years, after all these years, you've been tried and true. She looked at him and said, huh? Honey, after all these years, you've been tried and true. She looks puzzled. She says, huh? I said, after 50 long years, you've been tried and true. She said, after 50 years, I'm sick and tired of you too. Communication in marriage, particularly, is always a challenge, right? Can I just tell you? You know, there we have learned a lot. Like I could write several novel books, several volumes of of books on communication, and I can't say that I've conquered it yet. I mean, just trying to figure it out uh, with my wife over the years. You know, certain things you do, certain things you don't do, and and uh, what to say, when to say it. I mean, sometimes it just gets you in trouble, right? I mean, admittedly, saying one thing the wrong way gets a totally different interpretation. Think about it like this. If you say to your wife, honey, you look like the first day of spring, you'll get one response. If you say it this way, honey, you look like the last day of a cold, hard winter, <laughs> you're going to get a totally different response. Same, same day, same communication totally different response, right? And uh, so it's important that we listen. It's important that we really tune in and pay attention to what's being spoken. And so the passage we're going to talk about today talks to us about how that God has progressively spoken into the world for ages, Psalm 19, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a rabbit trail, but you'll go, get where I'm going. The Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens what? The heavens declare the what? The glory of God. That means that when you and I check the weather, that we are checking a declaration of the glory of God. That that God is communicating 24-7 every day of the week since creation has been in place. God is speaking. God is declaring, he's saying, I'm God, come outside and look at my handiwork, come outside and see the atmosphere that I've created, that by the way, if we were, you know, a couple of hundred thousand miles closer to the sun, wouldn't exist. The heavens declare the glory 
of God, the substance, the essence of who God is, has been has been uh, has been communicated, uh, you know, ever since creation. And so you and I get to what we get to richly enjoy the declaration of God called the atmosphere. And so God has been speaking. He's been speaking, uh, the Bible says, throughout all of history, and, and yet oftentimes we don't get what he's saying. And, and so uh, let's get into the text today. We're going to read, uh, it's a lengthy passage of scripture, I know, but I want you to read it out loud with me. That way you won't fall asleep while I'm reading. But it's a good word, and uh, so, um, you know, give, give it your best shot, give it your best voice here. <clears throat> you ready? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who in, will inherit salvation? Amen. You read the word. Great job. Okay, so what I want to talk to you about today is worshiping the one who is worthy. Worshiping the one who is worthy. Oftentimes in our walk with God, we can get attached to things that are not really the thing. One time, many years ago, I had a woman come in to the church here, and she began to talk to me, and she was from a Greek Orthodox background. Anybody know Greek Orthodox? You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like, it's kind of like a Catholic, but from another, another uh, uh, strip of the church, Greek Orthodox. And, uh, and she came in, and she was very upfront with me. She just said, hey, this is not a church building. Where's the stained glass? Where, where, is the, where is the ornate uh, fixtures? Where, where's your robe, by the way? Where's your robe? And she began to talk to me about, uh, about everything that had to do with what she understood church. She says, you know, this isn't a church. This is a, this is a theater. 
And, you know, depending on the tradition you come from, there, there's, there are furnishings that go along with whatever was involved with worship where you came from. We've had conversations about that in the past few weeks, and so I'm not going to belabor that point. But oftentimes what we don't realize is that we make associations based on our encounter, based on our tradition, based on where we come from. Uh, you know, what, did, did you worship or didn't you worship? It might have to do with whatever kind of furnishing. Furnishings that, that you went along with. If, uh, and, and so you and I need to realize that that's just something about human nature. Now what God wanted to point out to the Hebrews was that they needed to hear clearly what God was saying. Clearly what God was saying. There are a lot of noises in your world, but you need to hear God's voice. There are a lot of things that you can look at that are around, that are, that are good, but they're not God. Right, And so you and I need to realize that when we come in our, in our own experience with worship, we need to uh, tread lightly on the idea that worship's always going to be a certain way, that, uh, that it's always going to be this way, that it's always going to have this kind of a song or this kind of a meaning. God is continuing to speak, but he has spoken by his son, and so we want to... We want to focus in on what it means that God has spoken by his son. How many of you have ever uh, been in a situation where you found out you had to unlearn something you'd already learned? Part of life, and I hate it. Because the thing that you learned, you're like, okay, so how many, here's a case in point. How many of you learned that Pluto was a planet? And then by the time your kids got in school, Pluto was no longer a planet. And you're trying to teach him about the planets, and he said, no, no, Dad, no, Dad, Pluto's not a planet. I think it's back a planet again. I don't know. I'm not sure, but it's a, Pluto can't figure it out. It's got an identity crisis. I'm not sure. And how many of you learned about the atom, and when you learned about the atom, you learned that the atom was made up of protons, neutrons, electron buzzing around the outside? Can I tell you? No, you are wrong. How many of you learned about the quark? Quarks came out of a while back. I'm going to be a quirky quirky. I'm going to be a pastor, a quirky pastor who talks about quarks for a minute. A quark is actually a, 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 a burst of energy that, that's inside, and every proton and neutron is actually made up by three. I think it's interesting that it's three. I don't know why. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I don't know why. But I just think it's interesting that down on the inside of the atom, there are quarks that actually make up the proton and the neutron. We didn't know that back then because we had no way to, uh, to science couldn't parse it down small enough. They could, they could pick up on the the protons and the neutrons and electrons, but they couldn't pick up on what was making up the, uh, the inner part of the atom. And so now quarks. Now it's interesting to me. Isn't it interesting to you that, that uh, a quark uh, is, is really this burst of energy down in there and they're not sure, is it a sound wave? What is it that's on the inside of that thing that's just rattling around on the inside of a neutron and, an and a proton? What is that thing in there? And uh, so when, when you and I think about it, have, I, just, I just love to muse about this stuff. Think about it. That, that verse we just read says God sustains all things by his powerful word. Well, where did God's word come forth? He spoke. And when he spoke from his spoken word, Light was created. When he spoke, the planets came into being. The stars 
of the sky, the universe. They were, they were brought into being. In his word is so powerful, creative and powerful that God brought things. I just, I, just ima- I just imagine, okay, this is gospel according to Ken Kramer. I just imagine that the quark is the closest thing that we can identify that is the vibration of God's voice on the inside of all creation. Think about that. He sustains all things by his powerful word. How does he do it? I think he does it by a quark, by a lot of them. Here's a, here's a, a phrase. I, I love this, this line. This is a Abraham Cooper said, There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Mine. We like to separate out the sacred and the secular. We like to separate out Christian and non-Christian. God says it's all mine. It's all mine. It belongs to me. Why? Because everything is sustained by the power of my word. And so today, let's look into the person of Jesus uh, according to the book of Hebrews. and, And let's talk about worshiping the worthy one. Worship is only as powerful as the one whom we worship. Since Jesus is heaven's highest reality, unlimited authority and power belong to him. If you're a person that worships money, it's only going to get you so far. If you worship your reputation, it's only going to get you so far. If you worship and idolize sports, well, that's only going to help you so far. Whatever you worship has to gives over to you whatever its power is. But if the thing that you worship is limited, guess what? You're limited too. You're only going to get out of it whatever it has the capacity for. We worship Jesus because he is the only one that's worthy. Now, there's a comparison here in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And the writer of Hebrews does this in numerous times. He compares and contrasts created things so that we can see how Jesus, how God's economy and God's, uh, God's world, God's environment that he created, he compares and contrasts them. Do you remember where sin originated from in eternity? Pride was found in Lucifer. What was Lucifer but an angel he was the highest he was the worship leader of heaven and so pride was found in the worship leader of heaven and he was cast down so the very first thing that the writer of hebrews does is he says let me talk to you about high how high jesus is and how low the angels are let me compare to you what god says about his son and what he says about created angels. Let me compare and contrast so that you get it, so that you don't worship angels. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it, if we could see the, the, the actual angels that fill this room right now. Like if God could just pull back, they're here. There's at least one for every one of us, right? And, and you know, and so the angels are, are all around, but don't worship them because they're not worthy of it. They're created, just like you and I, you know, are created. And, and so uh, here in Hebrews, and I'm just going to rattle these off. Um, uh, we've read them already, but uh, I made a list of them. He is heir of all things. 
He is the creator of the universe. He is the channel of God's power. He is the radiance of God's face. You and I were meant to live in the face of the almighty God. We were meant to to live and move and have our being before God's face. The problem that, that came into the world, though, was sin. And sin separates us. Men have a bent toward darkness. We would rather have darkness than light. And so what God did, had to do was he had to create a way so that we could continue to live in his face. But he had to deal with a sin problem. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. And so when you and I have applied the blood of Jesus, we can live the way he intended us to live, no longer cowering in darkness, no longer bound by chains of sin, but we can live our lives in the face of God, and Jesus is the radiance of God's face. He is the icon of God's substance. He is the sustainer of the universe. He is the sinner's redeemer. Thank God for that. And he is the ascended victor and Lord of all. I want to talk to you about your worship this morning because your worship is only as good as your clarity of the one you ought to worship. See, our worship's kind of cloudy sometimes. Our worship's often affected by how we feel. Our worship's affected by the amount of caffeine that's in our bloodstream. Our worship's affected by our blood sugar level. Our worship is often affected by conversations we have on the way to church. Hello? For many years, uh, as it, uh, when our kids were younger, um, Holly and I, uh, you know, we drove separately to church, and I would come and get things set up, and, and uh, she, she, she was the hardest working mama on the planet because she was looking after the kids, and I would come to church. Let me tell you, uh, it, it, was, it was always uh, hard because, you know, arguments would happen in the car on the way to church, right? Uh, the, the, the flurry of activity to try to go and be there, uh, often my sanctification was somewhat what less if I rode with the family than if I went there and just uh, so I'd help lay things out the night before and I'd get everything ready do my part as best I could but then on the way to church it was Holly and the kids and I'd see them when they got here you know we we need to be mindful of the fact right we need to be mindful of the fact that our worship is only as vibrant as our vision of Jesus. And sometimes we, we lose sight of him. And when we lose sight of him, we begin to struggle. So uh, a couple of things I want you to remind you. Worship is not music, but it may utilize it. Don't worship the music. Don't worship the pretty lights. Don't worship the haze. Don't worship the, 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 the cultural sensitivity Worship Jesus. Focus your attention on him. Find him in the midst. Let me tell you, if you can only worship when the lights are just right, if you can only worship when the temperature's just right, if you can only worship when things are just so, you're not going to worship the way you ought to worship. If your worship's good, it's because you've learned to do it when nothing was going right. You worship, your, your worship muscles got built up when, you know, your, your voice was, you know, and, and everything, and you just got up and did it anyway. Get up and do it anyway. You want to get good at anything? Get up and do it anyway. You want to be a, a worshiper? Get up and do it anyway. Right? It's the same with everything. And, and so learning to just walk through your house and be a worshiper. Learning to just lift your voice in the presence of the Lord and sing that song to Jesus because he wants to hear it. 
He wants to hear it. He wants to hear your heart. And so worship is not music, but it may utilize it. Worship is not emotions, but they should be involved. Let me tell you, if you're, you know, I get it sometimes, you know, it, it's, it's, like, it, it's like a dry crust, you know, worship, you're just like, ah. You know, yesterday here in prayer, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, where were you? I know where four of you were. The rest of you, I don't know. Seven o'clock on Saturday morning, right here in this room. It's wide open. It's available. Come on, let's pray. And uh, But there are, you know, we've done this prayer meeting consistently for the last 28 years right here. If I'm in town, I'm here. Seven o'clock on Saturday mornings. People say, I can't find out. I can't get on pastor's schedule. You want to know where I'm at? Saturday morning, seven o'clock, right here. Come on. Come get on my schedule. Let's pray together. Nothing happens until we pray. Nothing happens until we pray. Oh, that's too early, Pastor Ken. Okay, 9.25 before church on Sunday morning. Here we are. Here we are. Say, Pastor Ken, you don't know how bad my marriage is. Just another reason that you need to be at prayer. Well, you don't know about my work schedule. Just another reason. Start a prayer meeting and I'll show up. You need somebody to get in agreement with you in prayer? Come on, people. This is how this thing happens, right? And so we, we, we go and we enter in. But yesterday I was kind of like, ah, sometime, some days, man, the Spirit of the Lord, I know God's going to do something on Sunday because he already did it on Saturday morning. I know it. I, I, I already know it. Ahead of time. And then some, some Saturday mornings, like yesterday, it was kind of like, uh, uh, oh, it's tough going. It's tough sledding. But you keep doing it. And it's, it, you know, you, why? Because we don't walk by, uh, we walk by faith, not by sight, right? Worship is not an atmosphere, though it creates an atmosphere. How many of you enjoyed the atmosphere earlier? Yeah. Let me tell you, uh, one of the things, and this, I'm going to run a rabbit trail real quick. Go with me. How do you know that you've worshiped? How do you know that you've worshipped? I know that I've worshipped when I lose track of time. I know that at some point I've stepped over and stopped paying attention to the atmosphere around me that is controlled by time. I don't, it's not in my mind. I don't think about, I don't think about my day. I don't think about my calendar. I don't think about, I don't think about, oh, this song is taking forever. I know that I've worshipped when I step over and I lose track of time. You know why? Because I believe those moments are when I'm, I'm connecting with eternity. And, and the, my, my spirit man has risen to the place where it's being flashed by, you know, you know, you know how to flash something like flash a hard drive. Or, you know, you, you, some of you, your, your cars are so new, they have to, oh, yeah, you just got a problem with your, with your computer. We got to flash the computer, put a new little OS in there. When you, when you step over in worship and you lose track, of time that is one that's one sign that you've worshiped how many songs did you sing for 45 minutes one and we didn't even think about it anymore we stepped over we worship happened um, an, another way that I know is that I, I stopped thinking of myself so much when I when I really get into worship it is all about him it's not I'm sorry I'm not thinking about you at that moment I know you probably think I am. I'm always on pastor's mind. 
If you're that person, you don't want to be that person. Can I just tell you, you don't want to be that person. Pastor, did you think of me? Should I have? At that moment, I stopped thinking about anything but him. I stopped thinking about my circumstances. I stopped thinking about my burdens. I stopped thinking about, and, and you know, the moment that, I, the moment that I, I, I want to assert how good I am, in that moment, I'm suddenly reminded, you know, where, where are crowns in the presence of Jesus? They're, they're cast down at his feet. They're cast down at his feet. And, and so you and I, we can't get in, our, we can't get in the Lord's presence in worship and, and think of ourselves. We're there and we're thinking about him. So worship involves, here's, here's a thought. Worship involves the ability to transfer our attention from the visible to the invisible. It relies on our capacity to receive the revelation of Jesus from the scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to release his image before us so we can see him in order to worship him correctly. If you're coming in and your focus is on the, the music, if your focus is on just the words, it, you, you haven't gone far enough. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. You got to keep pressing in. You got to say, you know what? I'm still thinking about the stuff and I'm not enthralled with who he is. I haven't gotten to the place of adoration yet. My worship is still a little bit cloudy, but I want to be focused on him. And so we, we continue to do that. We continue to press in. That's what worship is. Worship that challenges the limits of our understanding because God is far beyond our comprehension. Worship is trans rational. In other words, it goes beyond your understanding. It's tra- it uses your understanding, but then once you get to the, to the outer edges of your understanding, you kind of launch out into his presence and you realize who you really are in him. If you could totally wrap your mind around God, you'd be God. But because you can't, you're not. But you'll use your mind to, to understand him as best as you can. And then the Lord says, come on a little farther, son. Come on a little farther, daughter. Let me show you something. You remember when Job was having all of his trouble and everything, and he finally got to the place where he's kind of, he's kind of puffed up and, and saying, well, I'm not, I'm, I, I am righteous, doggone it. I haven't done anything wrong. And his friends were trying to convince him that he was. He, you know, he was, he was a sinner and telling him all this bad stuff about him. And God says, okay, come here, come here, Job. Brace yourself like a man. Show me where the snow comes from. Let me explain to you really how deep the ocean is. Let me tell you what's down there in that ocean. Let me tell you why the ocean only comes so far and doesn't go any farther. You know, Job encounters God. And thank God for that encounter because we learned some things about God that we wouldn't have known if a man had not had an encounter, right? Worship. Worship is beyond our understanding. It's transrational. So the, the thing that you and I need to realize is that Jesus, you know, Jesus is the highest reality of heaven. Um, but secondly, oh, that was only point number one. You're going to be all right. Jesus is earth's highest hope. Jesus is earth's highest hope. Let me read to you from uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 12. 
Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. First thing I want you to see about uh, Jesus in this text is when Jesus was on earth, he brought healing and wholeness to spirit, soul, and body. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We may not be uh, near the Sea of Galilee. We may not be on the streets of Jerusalem. But the same Jesus that walked those streets is walking these aisles today. Jesus is the same. He hasn't changed. And he still heals spirit, soul, and body. He still does a work in our lives. He still wants to minister to you today. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He is with you in your time of mourning. He's with you in your time of trouble. He's with you in your time of trial. Jesus is the same. He's here today, and we ought to worship him because he's our healer. We ought to worship him because he's our strength. We ought to worship him because he's the only one that's worthy. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the channel of God's power. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And that word salvation doesn't just mean, hey, you get to go to heaven. This is a this is fire insurance for your uh, for you. No, it's not about that. Uh, salvation means spirit, soul, and body. That you are delivered. That you are made whole. That Jesus Himself does a work. Can you say praise God? And when Jesus walked the earth, he healed spirit, soul, and body. The second part of that text, though, that's interesting, and I want to finish up here on this thought, is that Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge of all the earth. Jesus not only heals, uh, but he also judges. And you say, well, why is that? You know, when, when Jesus heals... We need to recognize uh, that, uh, that he is doing a healing work, but that's usually because there was a preceding judgment that took place. When Jesus went to the cross, the, the day before he went to the cross, he said, now the prince of this world is driven out. Judgment had come on the enemy. The enemy was judged. His works were thwarted. He was crushed. Jesus went to the cross, and when he went to the cross, he brought cleansing. He brought healing. He brought deliverance. The word of judgment, when it comes, it, that correction that comes through judgment means that the, the wicked are punished, but the righteous and innocent go free. And so what, what uh, Matthew's trying to get across to us is that here's this Jesus who comes in healing and ministering, bringing about life to people, but then he says justice is going to come from him. The justice of the nations, the hope of the, of the nation's injustice is going to flow from Jesus. I like what Jack Hayford says. Judgment is purging, purifying, healing, and therapeutic. It is not damaging and destructive. And we see that in this text. I'm going to read a, a little bit here. It says, um, I will put my spirit on him and we, he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cor- cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. 
How many of you found yourself as a bruised reed somewhere along the line? You said, man, I got no strength at all. I have nothing that I could, you know, some people like to bow up and act like they're an oak tree, but they're really not. A bruised reed. Think about the frailty of that picture. And the Bible says, he says, I'm not going to break that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it. In fact, do you know the, that Simon Peter, the word Simon means reed. But Jesus said, you're Simon, but I call you Peter. I'm going to make you a rock. This is a picture of what Jesus does in our life. And so when we think in terms of, of the justice that the Lord brings, let me just remind you that justice comes from him. Why does it come from him? Because justice has to find its place in the human heart. Justice, the, the world is broken because of the hearts of humanity, not because we got bad laws or bad government or bad this or bad the other thing. How did th those things are just a representation of the wickedness that's in the hearts of men. So any, any justice that doesn't go all the way back to the human heart is going to be incomplete. You know, Jesus, the, the scripture says here that he's going to bring justice to the nations. Uh, in, the name, in his name, the nations will put their hope. There is a righteous judge, and he's alive and he's Lord. And God is not uh, hindered one iota by what's going to take place on, on November the 3rd. He's not, he's not fretting. He's not sitting there, oh, I hope Trump can get in. Oh, I hope Biden gets in. He doesn't. Let me tell you, God is not shaken up. By, you know what you need to do? You need to vote. You need to vote. But at the end of the day, don't put your trust in the political process. I'm thankful that it's almost done. How are you going to be thankful? I'm going to, it's going to be the best Christmas ever just because the election is in our rearview mirror. I'm just telling you, you know, 2020, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, it's over with. Praise God. You know, but at the end of the day, here's the reality. Justice won't come from Trump. Justice won't come from Biden. Justice comes from the throne of God. And if the human hearts do not get changed, we are just rearranging the deck chairs, friends. This whole thing's going down. We need revival. We need what Jesus brings. We need the word of God in the hearts of men. This is how it comes. This is how it changes. Let me tell you, there, uh, uh, Wednesday, Wednesday morning, whoever gets up, whenever you wake up, you're, you're going to hear about it on Tuesday night, but Wednesday morning, you've had, have you ever had buyer's remorse? You ever buy something and wish you hadn't bought it? Ever buy something and said, I'm just going to take it back right now? Some of you did. You just, whatever it was, it was a car, it was a house, whatever it was, you're going to take it back. There's going to be voters' remorse on Wednesday. Because people's misplaced hopes all year long have been in what's going to happen on November the 3rd. And you know what? We've, we've been worshiping something other than the living God. We've allowed distractions in the secret place. We've allowed distractions. We've allowed things to cloud our mind. We've allowed uh, uh, ideas and ideals and uh, opinions and thoughts to, to, to begin to press in on us. And it's time to throw that off. Jesus is alive and he's Lord. Amen. And if you want change, change happens when you bow the knee to him. And you say, Lord... Today, I'm taking off my crown, and I'm placing it at your feet. I'm taking off the fact that I'm an American, 
I'm taking off the fact that I've got a degree or that I've got a job or that, I've, that people say this about me. And he begins to work deeply on the inside of us when I know that I've worshipped, when I look at myself differently. Why? Because Jesus is earth's highest hope. He's the highest thing that we could hope for. We're going to close this morning in prayer. I just want to challenge you. You know, this morning in the, in the 8 o'clock service, I really felt like the Lord uh, did something in our hearts. You know, one of the things that happens, Hebrews, it goes on. I love, I love Hebrews because it just kind of threads together. Uh, you know, it goes on. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And then in Hebrews 4.12, it talks about the Word of God and how that the Word of God judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. Can I just press here? Let me just camp here for just a second. Let me talk to you about the importance of conviction in your own heart. Last week, I was, at a, I was at a board meeting for Antioch College, and we were introducing ourselves. And as we went around the table, and there's some powerful people sitting at that table amazing, done amazing things in the kingdom, amazing things. One, one, uh, one lady was there 16 years in the State Department overseas, done some amazing stuff. I'm sitting there listening and saying, whoa. And it occurred to me, and when you find yourself in a setting you're not used to, you suddenly have the opportunity to kind of like reinvent yourself. Okay, I've only got 30 seconds to say what I'm going to say. What am I going to say about me? I got so convicted. Just before I spoke, Holy Spirit said, be careful. Be careful. You know, I, I, what, what becomes a boast for Ken Kramer? Well, I've, I've been here a while. I've been here a while. And I found that that becomes a thing when a lot of pastors move around every few years and I've stayed in the same place. That's the anomaly. That's the standout. That's your, so that's your thing. And got so convicted about that, just about how I say it, because it can, and nobody else would know, but I know, and Holy Spirit let me know, I know, yeah, I, I got you, boy, I know how this works, okay, years ago, there was a, there was a youth pastor who had a very, very large youth group, it was like a thousand students, a thousand students, it was a large church, but it was a it was a large youth group. This guy was amazing. But I noticed whenever he would get around people that didn't know him, he'd introduce them. And, 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 you know, pastors would compare. Well, what church do you pastor? How big's your church? Eugene Peterson used to say, that's ecclesiastical porn. Pastors say, oh, I pastor a church this big. I pastor a church this big. I pastor a church this big. And what I noticed about this guy when he would introduce himself was he would say, yeah, we got a few dozen. Like he wouldn't even play the game. I mean, he could he could lay the he could lay the ace down and everybody else would just shut up. But he knew. We've got a few dozen. And he just love that. Love that. Not false humility. But let's keep the attention on the worthy one. Right? Let's keep the attention on the worthy one. Worship has got to be about the one who is worthy, right? Everything else, everything else that we have is all by his grace. So let's stand this morning, and as we stand, Holy Spirit, show us, show us the area of our crown that we are boasting in.
And may we take that crown off today and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Lord, we want to worship the worthy one today. We want to have encountered the living God and been changed by that encounter. We would recognize, Lord, that the highest revelation of heaven is Jesus and the highest hope of earth is Jesus. Thank you today, God, that we can approach your throne with confidence and we can find our help today. All over this place, can we just take those crowns off and lay them at the feet of Jesus? Can we just be real with God today? Holy Spirit, I welcome your conviction about my own thoughts and my own attitudes. Father, forgive me for walking around with pride. Forgive me for walking around uh, with struggles that you have freed me from, but I wouldn't let go of those struggles because I wanted at some level to boast. Show us, Lord, what worship really means in our own hearts and lives today. Thank you that we can worship the worthy one today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.